All right, we're going to start this off on a very upbeat note. So here's what I want you to do. You don't have to say anything, but I want you to get a picture in your mind of a time that you were enormously happy. Maybe a moment that, that comes to your mind, that's the happiest I remember ever being. Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was your wedding night. <laughs> Maybe it was the uh, birth of one of your children or all of your children. Um, but think about, think about that kind of happiness or, or think about what's the happiest you've ever seen another person, just ex, you know, exuberant with happiness. Many years ago, uh, we had a, a family in our church and the wife was from Peru and the husband was from Cuba. And one day they get a call from the immigration services saying, hey, um, there's a guy here who has just turned himself in at the border at San Diego who is trying to defect from Cuba and he says he's your cousin. And turns out he was the cousin of the man and they said it's gonna, there's gonna be a hearing for him in two weeks in Miami but we'll let him into the country if you'll vouch for him and he can stay with you for those two weeks. It's him, his wife, and his six-year-old son. And sure enough, that family came into the United States, stayed with our church family, and uh, they, they thought, well, what can we do with them while they're here? How can we make this a special time for them? And they knew that my entire family at that time had season passes to Disneyland. That was back when you didn't need a second mortgage for a season pass for Disneyland. And we all had season passes for Disneyland. My kids had grown up there. They had been there like once a week since they were born. And that was just normal for our family. And they said, hey, would you be willing to take these guys to Disneyland? I said, sure. Because I speak Spanish and because I had a um, pass to Disneyland, I was the obvious person to do this. And so I spent the day with them. And as we were driving down, they were just describing to me what life in Cuba was like. And it was far, far, far worse than anything I had ever imagined. This guy was a nuclear physicist who worked for the Cuban government. And yet, he was so poor that all they got was once a month a ration of beans and a ration of rice and once a year a pair of shoes for their son. They lived on virtually no money and they were broke all the time. Yay, communism. So that was their situation. They were telling me about how difficult their life was. In fact, as we drove past a park, they mentioned that, um, that they're not allowed to go into public parks in Cuba, those parks were only allowed for high-ranking government officials. And so their six-year-old son had never been in a park before of any kind. The first park he ever went to was Disneyland. <laughs> oh my goodness, this was back in the olden days. You used to turn into Disneyland from Harbor Boulevard, the main uh, entrance there. And as you would turn into Disneyland, they would have Disney characters out front waving at the cars, Mickey and Donald and Goofy waving at the cars. I thought this kid was gonna wet himself. 
I have never seen a kid so excited in all my life. You could just read his face and go, this is the greatest moment of his life. And that smile stayed on his face the entire time that we were at the park. I have never seen a person so incredibly happy. See, my kids love Disneyland, but they just thought it was normal. But this kid experienced Disneyland for the first time and was so blown away that the smile stayed on his face the entire day until his parents said, it's time to go home. (laughs) And then his smile turned to a frown. Suddenly he was the most upset child and his parents were so abusive and how could you do this to me and all of that kind of stuff. But it was amazing to watch him go from the peak of happiness to the peak of brokenheartedness, all because of entering and exiting a theme park. That look on his face, I'll never forget. I treasure it to this day. That probably happened 20 years ago. I treasure it to this day, and I could still see his face. And yet that happiness pales in comparison to what the Bible calls joy. You see, we see this word joy a lot at Christmas time, especially you can't walk in anybody's home that's decorated for Christmas without seeing the word joy all over the place. If you happen to go into a shopping mall, God bless you, I wish you the best. If you happen to go into a shopping mall, you're gonna see joy all over the decorations. The word joy seems to be everywhere this time of year. Uh, people seem to think it's pretty important. In the Bible, Depending on the English translation that you're using of the scripture, the words joy or derivatives, rejoice, joyful, appear a total of about 430 times compared to the word happy and happiness, which appear about 10 times. So apparently in scripture, this idea of joy is somehow more significant in God's economy than this idea of happiness, which seems to be the thing that everybody is peddling in our economy. And so in the Bible, you see this, and there's 430 occurrences. We're gonna look up each one of them today. (laughs) We're gonna look up three of them, bear with me. And this is gonna be the test to see how biblically scholarly you guys are, because the first one is in the book of Nehemiah, So you gotta figure out where to find Nehemiah. Let me give you a hint. The first page, there's a table of contents. Look there. You find the book of Nehemiah in your Old Testament before you get to Psalms and Proverbs and all of that. And I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter eight. And as you're turning there, let me just tell you real quick what's going on. Nehemiah and Ezra have led the people back into Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the wall after a long captivity in Babylon and they are headed back to Jerusalem. And when they get there, They have this special day that is set aside and they just sit and read the scriptures which the people have never heard read aloud before in their entire lifetime because of the the fact that they've been away in captivity. Now we're gonna pick it up in chapter eight, verse nine of the book of Nehemiah. Here's what it says. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, 
for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for the day is holy, do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, and to send portions and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, for those of you who had no trouble finding Nehemiah, let's see how good you really are. Turn to the book of Habakkuk. Yes, it's in the Bible. You'll find it. Turn to the book of Habakkuk toward the back of your um, Old Testament where a bunch of the prophets are listed together and go to the end of the book of Habakkuk and let's see how Habakkuk ends his prophetic book. Here's what it says in Habakkuk chapter three, beginning in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no fruit, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. To an agrarian society, he has just described the worst of possible times. The fields are not producing fruit, the uh, animals are not reproducing, and they are starving. Verse 18, yet... I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on high places. And now an easy one, Hebrews chapter 12. Go to the back of your New Testament. Before you get to James, you'll find a big book called Hebrews. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. And as you're turning there, let me tell you that Hebrews chapter 11 is what has been known as the Hall of Faith. It's this long chapter that just describes person after person after person in the Old Testament who walked with God and lived a life of faith and were rewarded by God with eternity. And here's what we get in chapter 12. In light of that, beginning in verse one, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He, he says that even Jesus, when he was, say, in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood, thinking, oh man, I've got to go to the cross. It's the most terrifying thing in the world. The stress is building, the stress is building. Even in that moment, though he despised the cross, though he despised the wrath of God being poured out upon him, though he despised the beatings, the torture, the humiliation, though he despised all of it, he endured this, this cross for the joy set before him. So somehow this happiness thing, and we've been talking about this for weeks, but happiness is so tied into your circumstances. You're driving into uh, Disneyland and you're happy. You're driving out of Disneyland and you're sad. It's all dependent upon your circumstances. Joy is not like that. Somehow joy is tied into eternal things. Jesus endured the cross Harder than anything any of us has ever been asked to endure. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. So this 
joy that the Bible talks about is apparently a very, very powerful thing. Now let's watch that joy unfold at Christmas by revisiting the passage that Jim wrote, read for us this morning. It's in Luke chapter 2, and it's the main passage for today. In Luke chapter 2, and it's very familiar to you, if you've ever watched the Charlie Brown Christmas, you've heard this read. But beginning in Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, 18, uh, excuse me, beginning in verse 8, here's what it says. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great I bring you good news of great joy. Okay, good, thanks. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, he says. Um, I lost my place. Uh, verse 11, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Why is joy such a buzzword at Christmas? It's because Christmas makes joy possible. Take away Christmas, there's no such thing as joy. How should we respond to this message of Christmas joy? Well, we get the example set for us. It says that um, when the, um, in verse 13, look at this. Suddenly there appeared the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Even the heavenly hosts, the angels themselves, respond to this announcement of joy by praising God. And when you skip down, you see that that's how Mary responds when she hears the message. And you see in verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that, he had, all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. We too, when confronted with this message of good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, should respond in praise, glorification of God, and exaltation. That's what this season is meant to remind us of. Now let me be clear. The only source of true joy is a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's the only source. Everything else is a cheap counterfeit. There is happiness, there is fun times, there is temporary pleasures. And all of those might be wonderful, but they're not joy. And the only source of true joy is a relationship with God through Jesus. And, and here's what we have to realize. Every one of us, because we were designed by God, are born with an insatiable hunger for joy. We're born with it. And so if people don't find it in Christ, they try to find it in all the wrong places. And most of us can say amen to this from personal experience. We look for joy in material things. New car, new house, new jewelry, new whatever. 
We look for joy in accomplishments, uh, more trophies for the shelf, more, more certificates to be framed and put up, more accolades, more medals hung around our neck, more promotions. We look for joy in relationships with other human beings, but here's the problem in trying to find joy in relationships with other human beings. Every human being is a sinner, so people are going to let you down. I was doing, uh, I do a lot of my counseling now by video ever since uh, COVID uh, turned us all into people who use our screens all the time. And uh, I, was, I was doing some counseling with a lady and uh, I was talking to her about this issue about how all humans let us down. And, and so the, after our session was over, the next time we met, her husband came into the room and wanted to talk to me on the screen. I said, sure, what's up? He goes, well, last week when you were talking to my wife, I walked by in the hallway. The only thing I heard from that session was you saying, your husband is going to let you down. (laughs) And so I said, was I wrong? And we laughed about it when I explained the context, but what I was trying to tell her is that everything that we look for in life to give us fulfillment, to give us hope, to give us joy, to give us satisfaction will always let us down. All humans are flawed. Yes, maybe even you. So let's keep that in mind. We look for joy there, but there's no joy to be found. People look for joy in fame. People look for joy in wealth. People look for joy in experiences. But all of those things leave you wanting more. See, the world makes a false promise. And it goes something like this. If you get what you want, you'll be happy. And that's enough. So at all costs, get what you want. That's the lie that is told to us in a hundred different ways. Don't believe it? Just watch a few commercials on television. Just stop fast-forwarding through the commercials and you will see that it, it, every one of those commercials is telling you the same thing. You should want this and once you have this, you'll have what you want and then everything will be fine. But it's a lie. Happy is never enough. None of it is ever enough. This is why so many of the most accomplished the most beautiful, the most rich, the most famous people in our society end up as tragic stories of drug addiction, alcoholism, suicide. Kurt Cobain, if you're young enough to know who Kurt Cobain was, Kurt Cobain was the front man for a band called Nirvana. He was in his time um, sort of idolized and loved by millions of people everywhere. He was rich, he was famous, he was powerful, he was influential. He was uh, exercising his talents and using his craft until he became addicted to drugs and finally put a gun to his head and ended his own life. If you're a little older, maybe this will help. Marilyn Monroe. 
Marilyn Monroe was at her time the epitome of everything everyone wanted to be. Every man wanted her and every woman wanted to be her and she was the epitome of glamour and wealth and beauty and success and all of those things until she too overdosed on drugs and was found in her hotel room dead. Elvis Presley was probably the biggest celebrity in the history of the 20th century. And Elvis Presley, same thing, drug overdose. The one that hit me so hard was Robin Williams. Man, is there anybody funnier than Robin Williams? Life with Robin Williams must just be a laugh a minute, right? Until he hanged himself. And, And obviously the most... Obvious example of our lifetime is a guy by the name of Michael Jackson. Tried everything, had everything, experienced everything. People literally worshipped him. And in the end, all of his talent, all of his money, all of his fame, all of his experiences left him feeling more empty to the point where he died miserably also of a drug overdose. Now listen, there are examples of well-adjusted, rich, famous people as well. I'm not here to tell you that being rich and famous is a curse in every way, but I am telling you that not having joy is a curse. And that if you are pursuing life and you have everything the world has to offer, and you say to yourself, what more could I possibly want? And you're still empty on the inside? That is an emptiness that is deeper than anybody is prepared to deal with. A lack of joy. So you can have everything, but if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. Maybe it's time to get off the merry-go-round. Maybe it's time to stop looking for what we long for in places where it cannot be found. It's time to look back to Jesus as the source of our joy. There is no other place to get it. It's because, it's because of Christmas that we can have that kind of joy. Don't forget the message of the angel. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the only true source of joy. I know that's not politically correct. I know that seems awfully exclusive, but if it's true, it's probably the most important thing you'll ever hear. The gift of joy is the gift of Jesus. And that's why our joy transcends our circumstances. Good times come and go. Happiness comes and goes. Accomplishments, beauty, youth, money, health, it all comes and goes. But the good news of Christmas is that God offers us such great joy which cannot be taken away because Jesus is the source of that joy and Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Hallelujah indeed. If you don't know Jesus personally, then then, uh, Christmas is just another holiday for you. It's just a week off of work. To you, the concept of joy, like real enduring joy, 
is elusive at best. But the message of Christmas is hope, joy, peace, and love. And that's only available in the person of Christ. And when you find those things in Christ, they are yours forever. So isn't it time for us to stop accepting cheap counterfeits and just receive the true joy that can only be found in Christ? What an amazing thing it would be if this Christmas season, some of us, who have been scratching our heads about the Jesus question, some of us who have been trying to find joy, peace, contentment, fulfillment in all other places, if some of us finally said, it's time for me to bow the knee to the one who created me, the one who designed me, and invite him to be the Lord of my life. You can do that today. Wherever you are, whatever your list of sins is, however far from God you may have been, Jesus makes himself available to you. That's what the baby in the manger is all about. He didn't expect us to figure out how to climb up to heaven. He became one of us so that he might solve our greatest problem, sin and death. And all you have to do is turn to him, accept his gift of grace, and submit your life to him as Lord and Savior. And these things that you've only heard so much about can be yours. And before I go, I want to share a word with those of us who do know Jesus already, who, who do have some experience with that type of joy that Christmas makes available. Don't you think it's time to start actually walking in that joy, Christians? That, isn't it time that instead of just uh, singing joy to the world, we actually live in the world with joy? That's available to us, and Christmas is a reminder of that. The enemy is going to try to convince you that joy is fleeting, that you cannot have sadness and joy at the same time, but it's a lie. Joy is enduring because Christ is enduring. David, who wrote dozens of psalms that were complaints to God, did you know that? You ever read the book of Psalms? There's, there's more complaints to God in the Psalms than anywhere else in all of the scripture. The Psalm is filled with these Psalms of what we call Psalms of lament, where somebody's crying out going, this just isn't right, God. This just isn't fair, God. Where are you, God? What's happening, God? See, you and I are not the only ones to experience the fact that there are times when we don't have a clue what happened to God in our lives. And David writes these psalms, and he wrote dozens of these psalms of lament. And, and I just, you don't even have to turn there. Let me just read this to you. It's from Psalm 16. And this is a psalm of David. And Psalm 16 begins with uh, David crying out to God and running to God from refu for refuge because of all of the trouble and persecution that he's facing. That's how the psalm begins. But let me take you to the ending of Psalm 16, beginning in verse seven. Here's what he says. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, uh, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, 
nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. If there's a, if there's a wonderful gift under your Christmas tree, wrapped in beautiful paper and bows with your name on it, but you don't open it, I suppose it's still yours, but what a tragedy to never get to enjoy it. Guys, I know some people who have prayed the prayer and joined the church and done all of those kinds of things, but if you ask them, they'll tell you that joy for them has just been a pipe dream. It's a gift that comes to us in the person of Jesus. Some of us have left it sitting under the tree unopened. It's high time that some of us who know Jesus start daily opening the gift of joy that he came to bring us on Christmas. Okay, pastor, how do I open that gift? There's no hoops to jump through. There's no three steps to joyful living. Joy is found in Christ alone. He's inviting you to draw near to him this Christmas. He is the source of joy. If you keep him at a distance, you keep joy at a distance. But if you want to experience true joy, you're gonna have to find it by drawing near to him. Oh, and one more thing. Isn't it about time for us who know Jesus to be a conduit of that joy to others around us? See, we've been talking lately about this, this um, term oikos, the, the group of people that surround you that you're doing life with. You have an opportunity to be a conduit of joy to those people. Practical acts of service. Hey, the, the elderly lady next door just needs somebody to take her garbage cans out to the curb every week. Why couldn't that be you? Words of encouragement. There's somebody that comes to your mind at a given time, once in a while, haven't thought of them in a while, suddenly they come to my mind. Wouldn't it be great to just pick up the phone and call them and say, I was thinking about you today, I was praying for you, how you doing? And encourage them? Just being present with somebody who needs somebody to be present with them. Just a listening ear, you don't need the answers. You just need to love people. Sharing what God has done for you with them. This Christmas, may joy go beyond being a seasonal buzzword and instead be a practical reality in each of our lives. For the message of Christmas is one of good news, of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your touch. Thank you for the hope that we have in you that we spoke of last week. 
Thank you for the joy that is available only through you. Thank you, God, that when you looked upon a world that was lost in darkness and sin and had no sense of hope, had no sense of joy, had no pathway to those things, you solved the problem by becoming man, coming down to earth and being laid in a manger that you might go to a cross and pay the price for our sin. Thank you, Jesus. May we respond as the angels did. May we respond as Mary did. May we respond as the shepherds did by singing praises to your name and giving you all of the glory. For it's in your name we pray, amen.